0: weeks from today it is draft day the 2019 NFL draft will be upon us today it is episode eight of the best podcast available my name is Jason Gibbs opposite from me Andrew Gribble Brown senior staff writer and Gribbs uh, a loaded show today Uh, you are going to sit down one-on-one with Steve Malin the director of college scouting for the Browns a great personality and a a guy that's got a lot of experience and some great stories coming. And then Nathan Zagura will join us later in the program, uh, bringing him back into the fold after his vacation. And he will go through uh, one of my stupid little games that we like to call uh, Buy or Sell Mock Draft Edition. So. A loaded week, uh, a loaded episode eight here. Yeah, excited about Steve Malin because,
1: you know, I, I know our video team was working on something with him as well. Kind of, He's a newer uh, face in the scouting department here. I believe he was brought in around this time last year, maybe a little bit before that. Uh, But our our, our video guys went down to Kentucky with him for for Kentucky's Pro Day. It's something to look forward to when when Building the Browns uh, comes out here in the next month. So, uh, yeah, it'll be good to get his insights just on what the process is like at this time of year for a guy in his position and and how much things have changed now or if they have changed at all uh, now that you don't have a first-round pick because so much of what he does is on players that have nowhere near first-round talent but they're important guys for the roster nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I mean, just you look at some of the guys that uh, this front office has found, especially last year with Gennard Avery in the fifth round out of Memphis. I mean, a guy not a lot of us were talking about at the time a year ago right now. So uh, definitely going to be interesting to to hear from him and then also just continue to continue to get ready for the 2019 NFL Draft. And, you know... <laughs> As we get closer, I mentioned it three weeks. You know, three weeks from now, you again don't have that first round pick, but plenty of other picks and a lot still that can happen between now and uh, the end of April. That final Thursday in April, and with John Dorsey, one never knows. But more and more, it looks like you know the Browns are going to stand pat and let the draft come to them in the second round.
1: Yeah, and you've had some roster moves since the last time we taped, and pretty two pretty significant ones, I think. The, the biggest one among the, the releases that happened uh, on Monday was Derek Kindred, you know, a guy we thought uh, was maybe in line as the top in-house candidate to take over for Jabril Peppers, and, and now all of a sudden he's not here. But in you bring Eric Murray uh, from the Chiefs, who started nine games as a strong safety there last year, was kind of not who they planned to be their starter, but he kind of emerged once Eric Berry wasn't uh, going to be around for much of the season uh, and he comes in, but also Emmanuel Agba goes out. And that was a maybe someone you lined up as your third defensive end. Clearly, someone you thought if he was on the roster was going to have a significant role. Now, does that adjust your draft priorities? Are you going to add some depth via the draft that way? Maybe, maybe not. The reason you're able to move on from Agba is because you have a lot of other guys at that position. So, Uh, So some roster tweaking here and there that, uh, although they're not the the big headlines that the Browns made last month, uh, could have some impact on on which direction you go uh, over draft weekend.
0: And, And there's still some things to be ironed out over the next few weeks. You know, the reports that Duke Johnson wants a trade and how that impacts that running back room, especially with no Kareem Hunt for those first eight weeks. You know, what would the game plan be and how would things evolve Something to watch there, but as you said, um, with Murray coming in, I still think that safety is probably one of the biggest positions of need for this football team going into this draft.
1: Yeah, because even when you had Peppers and Kindred on this roster, you didn't have a ton behind them. I mean, that's the the thing. I mean, when you're – Honing a roster down to 53, strong safety is not a position you really load up on, and usually your third strong safety, per se, is usually a core special teams guy, and he's not someone you want to be relying on uh, on game day. So I I think it's – you're right, Murray's one. He's definitely not the answer uh, at that position. I think he's going to be among the people you look to put at that position, but you certainly – I think by the time we get to July, we're going to have a few new faces competing at that spot, whether it's rookies, whether it's free agent signings that have yet to be made, uh, all sorts of of options that still remain out there at this point in the offseason. Remember, I mean, at this time last year, granted, he didn't end up contributing anything to the team, but it was around this time last year you you added a pretty significant player to the roster, Michael Kendricks. I mean, there's still moves to be made that even don't relate to the draft but can affect what you're going to do on draft weekend.
0: Yeah, no question about that. As I said, uh, the director of college scouting for the Browns, Steve Malin, sits down with Andrew Gribble coming up in just a few minutes. Some of the top uh, stories this first week in April, let's get down to it. And Todd McShay from ESPN, an interesting article, the top graded 2019 day one but also day two prospects. And so basically, he tiered these players. Uh, obviously, tier one, tier two, and tier three, round ones. But tier four, good future NFL starters, second round value. Uh, he's got a lot going on here. Uh, you know. And, and it seems to be in tier four, there's a lot of guys that can really, really contribute. In a number of different ways, you know, he's got a lot of wide receivers in this tier, but he also has a couple tight ends. He's got five off, six offensive linemen. He's got four defensive linemen. He's got an outside linebacker. Uh, you know, he, there's a number of different ways this team could go, and he's got four defensive backs and four safeties. Yet so the most thing, that, the thing
1: that stood out to me most is that there's a lot of DBs and a lot of safeties, which makes sense for the Browns no matter what direction you go. But the fact that there's no DBs or safeties in the first tier, three tiers. So this is you're, – you're looking at still the top players at their position. Granted, it's not as uh, elite of talent as, as previous years. But, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, of options here that could fall to the Browns at 49. I, I think – the guy we like the most is, is pretty highly ranked. Jonathan Abram gets his 21st overall grade, the safety out of Mississippi State. So he most likely is not going to be there at 49, but there's some, some players, the one that keeps getting mentioned, in the cornerback out of Temple, uh, Nasir Otterly, the safety out of Delaware. All these guys could make some sense uh, for the Browns at, at 49, and so it's it, it kind of works out. I mean, you don't have a lot of linebackers, we've talked about that a ton, that aren't going to fall into that 49th pick tier, but... Uh, almost every single player in this tier outside of the wide receivers would make sense for the Browns, I think, uh, you know at, at 49.
0: Yeah, and, and even you get into tier five, um, obviously a lot of wide receivers, but th- there's some tight ends. There's a lot of tight ends there. Uh, there's a ton of offensive linemen. Defensive lineman, and then you are looking at four defensive backs as well. And the the one guy that stands out to me, and we've talked about him a couple times, Draymond Jones, the defensive tackle from Ohio State, in that fifth tier. That, according to Todd McShay, are future to solid, uh, future solid to good NFL starters, mid to late second round value. I am still surprised that he's ranked as low as he is. Yeah,
1: you know, it's it's he's all over the board. He's someone that it looks like he will be available when the Browns pick at 49. It's just imagine a, a matter of do they want him there? Do they even want him at all? Or do they think they can get him in the third round? I mean, that's the that's that's the possibility where when you start getting into these rounds, it's more about teams and their specific fits and what they like about specific players that they've talked to. I, I think you know this is the time of year where draft visits are starting to begin. It'll be interesting to see if Draymond Jones is one of those 30. I mean, we got our... Uh, it was something to pay attention to. I, mean, I know we don't officially report these, but when they start leaking out, I mean, you go back to last year. I think Antonio Callaway was a draft day visit. Uh, you even go to the seventh round. I think Simeon Thomas was a dra- was a, was a pre-draft visit uh, to the Browns. I mean, the Browns aren't going to make a lot of headlines with some of these names that are visiting Berea, uh, but those are the ones that they're doing the extra work on and, and could make picks on these players maybe they aren't even linked to in those certain rounds and, and go grab them I don't I don't remember any talk about the Browns and Callaway before the draft and all of a sudden they're no. tight enough to get them so it's, it's one of those things where you can fall in love with the player pretty quickly on a pre-draft visit that, and then find a way to draft them even if it might be perceived that it was maybe too early to go get them these are the guys that you maybe reach out to and know we picked this guy for a specific reason not just because he was the best possible player at that moment in the draft
0: some of the other names, I, I guess, that, that stand out to me in that fifth tier, a, a guy that I've seen a lot on NFL Network because he's been their, kind of their draft representative, and that's Chase uh, Vinovich, uh, the defensive end from Michigan. Uh, an intriguing prospect. Again, not necessarily a day-one starter, but a guy that you can develop and you can allow to develop with because of what you have in front of him.
1: Yeah, you know, it, 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 you can never have enough of these guys. And I think that the the departure of Ragba opens up the possibility that you add another young body at that position. I think the Browns are hoping also for be, for better things from Chad Thomas this year. A third-round pick from last year, you know, not all third-round picks are going to make an immediate impact. Chad Thomas clearly fell in the other category <laughs> where he didn't wasn't able to get on the field much. But hopefully – you're hoping a full offseason. Remember, he was hurt a lot of the OTAs. I think he missed almost everything and missed the beginning of training camp. Uh, that can really hurt a rookie. So hopefully you get Chad Thomas at least into a, a rotational kind of role, uh, and then you can add a player like – if you do add a, a player like Vinovich in the second or third round, they can kind of almost play the Chad Thomas role of last year and be ready for you in the future.
0: Again, tier six, the third round value, um, eight – He's got eight offensive linemen in there. He's got a number of defensive ends. Uh, Outside linebacker and inside linebacker are heavy in that third round and he's got seven defensive backs and five safeties. So I think if the Browns wanted to stay on the defensive track in that third round, there looks like they're going to have plenty of options. Yeah, it's a safe
1: bet that one of the two picks in the second or third round is going to be a defensive back of some kind, whether it's a corner, a safety. I think that seems like a, if you're making safe bets with what the Browns are going to do, and I think it's a safe bet that when you look at these lists that both players could be on the defensive side of the ball to begin with. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these are the – it's weird. I mean, we we we're in this position where we're talking about these guys before the draft. Usually, we're scrambling to find out <laughs> about these guys after the draft. But that's that's life without a first round pick. So we're we're talking about the Juan Thornhills of the world, the Mac Wilsons, you know, the Jay Sternbergs. I mean, these are not big draft names. They're not going to be invited to the draft. But uh, the, these are players that, uh, among the Browns rookies, have the best chance to make an immediate impact in 2019.
0: Again, it's not the flash. Because yeah. it's not a first-round pick, but these are guys. If you go back over the years and you look at the players that have been drafted in the second round, in the third round, in the fourth round, there are there are some quality players that have helped this team. Joel Batonio, you know, you had the story last week when when Joel Batonio was taken. Everybody said, "Wait a minute, you got this guy on the board. You got this guy on the board. Why why'd you pass on all these guys and you took a you took a guard?" But Joel Batoni has become one of the best players offensive line-wise in the NFL.
1: I mean, you had a similar reaction last year when you picked Austin Corbett.
0: Yep. And now all of a sudden you've made some moves,
1: and now he's looking <laughs> like he's going to be your starting right guard. I mean, I think that you know, there's always a, a method to the madness with with drafting. So it maybe if you are surprised by the position that is taken at one of these spots, I mean, know that there's, there's a it wasn't just made on, on a whim. You know, there's usually a plan in place to get these guys on the field uh, at some point.
0: The other uh, the other news of of the week, I guess, the two round 2019 NFL mock draft dueling pick predictions from Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay uh, at pick 49, obviously in the second round, uh, Nasir Aderley, the safety out of Delaware. Kuyper has him. McShay has Dalton Risner, the offensive tackle out of Kansas State. Yeah, I could mean, go either way.
1: Yeah, Adderley's interesting though, because he's more of a Randall type. If I correct I mean so he would not not exactly fill the box safety kind of role I think if you're looking at box safeties if you want to be really specific in the in that second round range I mean the two that make the most sense are Jonathan Abram and Taylor Rapp uh, of Washington but Adderley is is another deep ball kind of safety that that can uh, maybe play center field for you out there Risner is an interesting one I know our, our Nick Shook loves this guy he is more likely a right tackle than a left tackle, and you've already got kind of a situation there with Chris Hubbard and Kendall Lamb sure. both compens- potentially competing there. But maybe he is someone you could develop long-term into a left tackle if you think that's a possibility. Offensive line wouldn't surprise me at either of the spots in the second or third round. Uh, I think you need defense more than you need offensive line, but you you don't let, let that dictate you when, it, when it's your turn. You usually try to get the best possible player you can uh, at that spot in the draft.
0: All right, coming up, we'll have Mock Draft Buy or Sell with Nathan Zagura. Right now, though, Gribbs had a chance to sit down with the Browns Director of College Scouting, Steve Malin. It is an entertaining interview. You're going to learn something as well. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Sit back, have a listen.
1: Steve, I guess we're sitting inside your office here today, but you're not much of a guy that's probably in your office very much to, throughout the year. I mean, what part of the calendar is, is this for you and your role as a Director of College Scouting? and And with three weeks before the draft, what are you focused on most?
2: Well, right now we're still in the process of evaluating one phase two, which is uh, us sitting in the draft room, reviewing all the uh, pro day workouts, um, then also going back to the game tape. You know, at the end of the day, you got to go back to the tape, and that tells you what the player is. You've been doing
1: this for a long time. Is this the the part that you like the most, or what what part part gets you most excited uh, with this draft process?
2: Well, I think, you know, having the opportunity to work with John and, and, and as well as uh, Elliot and Alonzo has been outstanding. Just learning their system, how what they came out of. Obviously, I was with the New York Giants um, for 16 years, and um, it's a different process. It's uh, it's more extensive, it's thorough. Um, everything's checks and balances, checking the boxes, making sure that all the details have been filled in, and so it's it's been a pretty exciting moment.
1: Kind of walk me through your background. You've been doing this for about 18 years or so as a scout, and now kind of working your way up. What brought you to Cleveland, and kind of put you in the in the driver's seat as a as a scout and kind of longtime scout?
2: Um, you know, obviously, um, John has an outstanding reputation as a town evaluator and as a general manager. Um, when he called and said, uh, "You ready to roll and wake up this sleeping giant?" I was like, "Let's do it." Um, you know, obviously, there's there's things that are enticing about this opportunity. You take a franchise that uh, is starving for wins, you got a, a fan base that's outstanding throughout the, not only just the, the community here but throughout the country. Um, everywhere you go, everybody's talking about the Browns, so obviously it's an exciting moment. Your
1: seat, what's it been like to kind of see this roster kind of transform in this way since you've been here? Did you cross paths with, with John before you came here or how, how did kind of the relationship start and build you guys to come
2: here? Well, I think, um, you know, with anything, it's just respect in the in the industry. Um, you know, obviously he's a guy that's put together some really talented rosters, dating all the way back to Green Bay and then Seattle, and then going back to Green Bay and then Kansas City, the success and the, the wins that they produce there. Um, Alonzo Highsmith and I got actually into the business about the same time. He was maybe in it a year or two before. We are both in the Southwest. Um, and there's been a great deal. You know, Chris Ballard came out of that. Joe Shane came out of that. So there's been some really talented individuals and talent evaluators that have come out of that southwest part of the country, and we all got in it together. Yeah. And you
1: mentioned kind of the young scouts, kind of learning, and and you you're proud of what they've accomplished. I mean, what what can they learn under under a GM like like John, and, and kind of the infrastructure that's in place here, and kind of set them up for the future? Well,
2: I think you know the most important thing is is a lot of times you got to just sit back and listen, and um, I think that's the one thing I try to do um is, is you know listen to what he has to say, ask questions, and with that comes knowledge so I think that's important to um when you're putting together a roster you know there's some f- philosophies that are the same and similar. The most important thing is is they're they're energetic and they're willing to work they put a lot of hours in the in, on the road there's a lot of personal sacrifices people don't realize that they're away from their families the, as much time as they are um, you got to have a special special woman and that's willing to uh, take care of the responsibilities at the home. Um, but at the same time, understand there's, there's commitments that her husband is going to be on the road and away from the family for extended periods of time.
1: Now, now in your role now, do you travel as much as, as you used to in the past or how, how do you kind of make your schedule out as the director of college scouting?
2: Well, what we try to do is, is, is uh, myself, Alonzo and, and, and Elliot, and, and obviously some of the, some of the scouts on the pro personnel side, we try to, let the area guys. We divvy up their their areas um, in the summertime, and then we just kind of fill in the pieces where it needs to be done to make sure the coverage is done correctly. That we got two two looks on every player. And I
1: know you go to a lot of pro days here at this time of year, and and I'm just wondering what when you're going to these sites, what does kind of your
2: your day look like when you're you're watching these players, and and what are you looking for? Well, I think you know the most important thing you're looking to see is. How they perform in that environment they're going to be put into some stressful situations and you're just looking to see how they respond obviously you, the testing numbers are important uh you want to see how they interact with their with their other teammates you want to listen to what the coaches have to say um, a lot of times the coaches don't have the stress um on them during the off season they do during the season so they're more out to give you information and talk about the players in more detail Um, It's just another piece of the puzzle that you're trying to put together everything so you got a a complete picture of what the player is. So you
1: think that when draft analysts, they always review a guy's pro day and they say a guy's stock has just kind of shot through the roof after just a pro day. Is that maybe misleading, I guess? Or can can a guy really elevate his so-called stock after just one
2: pro day? Yeah, obviously they can. Um, But at the same time, you you continue to go back to look at the film. When a guy's a fast riser, everybody goes back and looks at the film to make sure that they – That they saw him the same way as they saw him in the fall and obviously there's guys that you miss you have bad days you know when you go into school and you got 15 to 20 guys to write on a daily basis uh, you got 24 hours to make a decision before you're off to your next school Um, so you know you're you you can miss guys Um, you just try to limit the misses And how
1: much of this pro day work are you guys even working ahead toward toward even a 2020 draft. I know because it's a year away, but I know you guys are probably putting in some, some of the groundwork at this point.
2: Yeah, you know, when when you go into the school in the spring, they usually have their junior pro timing date at the same time, um, which gives us an opportunity to sit there and listen to what the coaches have to say. It's a beginning point um, where you start gathering the information, the background details, starting to identify who the guys are. If you got an opportunity to watch a film, you tr- put in a couple a couple tapes and, and um, see exactly um, – you know, where you need to allocate your resources for the following year. The big news this offseason was trading the first round pick. I'm just wondering, from your perspective,
1: does anything even really change all that much, or do you guys still go about your kind of your your standard process, even though things
2: are getting started in the second round this year as of now? I think you, you still have to be detailed. You still have to cover your basis on every every potential prospect out there. Um, you know, obviously, that's, that's a John Dorsey call. Um, But but you want to make sure that you you keep the integrity of your board intact.
1: When you start talking about the second third round, how valuable are those players still for what you're you're looking to accomplish as an organization? Because not everyone on the field is going to be a first round pick.
2: Most definitely, Um, I think the most important thing when you're going through the process is it's it's there's talent there. It's just what you make of the talent, you know. So I think that's important. We look at. uh, you know the money rounds as being important rounds, but we also look fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. There's been some great, great players that have come out of that part of the draft, uh, and every year you try to hit on every one of them. You can,
1: Scout, are There's guys you see that you know are going to be those fourth, fifth round guys, but you know they're they're just way better than that, and they're they're just they fell for other reasons. Or how do you how do you look at those kind of guys?
2: There's always factors of the reason why guys get drafted where they are. I mean, you could put together a Hall of Fame roster of, of uh, free agents. I mean, John Randall's a prime example of one. Victor Cruz is a, was a Pro Bowl player that w- was with us in New York. Um, you know, so there's there's talent at every level, at every position throughout the draft. It's just putting the right value on them and, and picking them right.
1: As a scout, is it even more rewarding when you see a guy come in and exceed those expectations
2: that you had for him? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what you expect out of every one of the players that you draft.
1: Walking through the the, the next three weeks, when, when you get to draft night, is that maybe – what are your feelings going into a draft night now that kind of the work the haze in the barn in terms of the the work and everything like that
2: i'm not sure the haze in the barn until the night before the draft um when you put all the information together um the boys are coming in this this sunday they're traveling in all this, the personnel guys and so it'll be exciting to get them back here um put together some of the information that they gathered in the spring and start grinding on the tape again
1: i know they were here maybe back in february before you guys went to the combine how, how valuable was that time together, and how, how much does that p- part of the process shape what you guys end up doing on draft weekend?
2: Well, I think most importantly, the lifeline life or lifeblood of any organization is the personnel department, and it starts with those guys. I mean, they start the groundwork leading all the way up to, to and through the draft, and so I think it's important uh, to sit there and, and um, you know, a lot of times you have to defer the information to them to, uh, to fill in the pieces um, because they're the ones that are on the ground every day beating, beating the road. Um, digging up information on the players and watching the tape a little bit more uh, than we are actually. When we go in, we got one opportunity. They've got two and three opportunities to to, uh, to get a guy positioned in the right posi- uh, place for us.
1: What have you thought of the cohesion kind of with the coaching staff and, and scouts and kind of the organization that, that John Dorsey set up here?
2: Well, I mean, listen, if you've got to be successful, successful at all levels. And, uh, you know, obviously, Freddie is an outstanding head coach. He was a proven coordinator um, this, is, uh, this is a great opportunity in this town, in this city. Um, the coaching staff is eager. we got a bunch of teachers, a bunch of coaches that are willing to teach the fundamentals. But at the same time, there's, a, there's an old saying that uh, the coaches coach and the scouts scout. And so it's important that we all work together um, for one common goal, and that's to win championships.
1: When you inject more and more talent onto a roster, when you see what the competition brings out of some guys, how much better can that make that team?
2: Well, what you're trying to do is create competition at every position, and that builds a strong roster. Um, you know, John's philosophy is, is is be strong at every position and be deep at every position, and so that's what we're we're working towards. And
1: that's why you you can't even go into a draft saying we don't need this position. You guys look at it like every position is is kind of wide open, don't you?
2: Yeah, and I think that uh, it's important that um, and, and John and I and and Alonso and Ellie talked about this yesterday. You know, when you're making decisions, you're making decisions. Um, you're drafting the best players available, the best player that's on the board at the time. Obviously, you hope it sometimes it addresses some of the positional needs, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily hold true. And um, and and he holds the key to that to that car.
1: Apex is still a lot to work with, still too, right? I mean, as a scout, you like seeing that 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 number on the board and knowing that you
2: can get that many young players on this team. Yeah. No, there's there's. Uh, It's a good draft, but it's what you make of the draft. That's the most important thing.
0: And here on the best podcast available, it's time for another one of Gibbs' stupid little games. Nick shook the week off. We welcome in the Z that stands for Zagura, back from vacation, all nice and tanned, and uh, in this winter wonderland, ready to play a little... Mock draft: buy or sell. Appreciate a few minutes of your time today. Oh, very happy to be here. This is great.
3: It's the best podcast available. So being on it's an honor.
1: Did you hear our Nick Shook comparison last week on wh- <laughs> where he is in the realm of characters? The best podcast available.
3: No. So he, since he's a
1: recurring character, he's kind of like Newman from Seinfeld.
3: <laughs> Did he love that? Yeah,
1: I, I think. I, I think this could make you
3: like. Banya? No, I was I knew you were going to say that. No. <laughs> no. Gold Jerry Gold. No, not Banya. I, I'd rather be I'd fancy myself more as maybe like a, a Peterman. Okay. You know, on the periphery but I'll come in every now and then throw you some Steinbrenner? Steinbrenner, would be great. Are you kidding me? That's that's Larome David
0: himself. <laughs> you could come in and do a little Steinbrenner, I feel like. <laughs>
1: Okay, I'll be Steinbrenner. Great. We need to George, we need to blur your George, face out in here. whenever we uh, yeah. promote this thing.
0: <laughs> George, you're fired. All right, so here's how this little game's going to go. I'm going to give you a mock draft person, uh, expert, I guess, someone that's put out a mock draft. I will say the player, where they have that player going, you will tell me if you're buying or selling what they are writing. First one up today, Peter Schrager, P. Schrags, friend of the show. He has Ed Oliver going number four to the Oakland-slash-Las-Vegas Raiders. Buying or selling, Gribble, we'll start with you.
1: I'm going to sell it because I think as much as Ed Oliver's stock is getting back to where it should be, I'm still not seeing him going as high as four. I I just think uh, something with the Raiders, I just don't know if that one makes sense. I I, I still pick them as the team that gets Jeffrey Simmons later in the first round.
3: So, I'm going to also say selling. I think Ed Oliver is going to end up going in the top 12, uh, which is probably right. But I don't think he's going to go ahead. If a quarterback goes one, I don't think he's going to go ahead of Bosa, Allen, or Quinnan Williams. I just, I, that I don't see happening. His stock has risen. His especially no, since it's, his
0: pro day. But, uh, it yeah.
3: fake fell, it I think. And now it's just where it's always supposed to be. He's a top 10 guy. Top 12.
0: Yeah.
1: That's good. That would be the first big move to shake up the draft, though.
3: If that happens, yeah. it'd be a, yeah, it would be a huge move to shake up the draft. But how much do you and, think that they
1: probably want Kyler Murray though? Don't you think?
3: I would think so, but you never know. You never know. I, I think that it's so interesting because Gruden, you know, gushes over people, but at the same time, with all this, you can't. If you're a car, you can't feel like you're loved or you're really
0: the long-term answer in their
1: mind. You're not looking for real estate in
0: Las Vegas. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up, Shregs. He's got Drew Locke, quarterback, Missouri, number six to the Giants. Are you buying or selling Segura? We'll start with you. By the way, the, for the listening audience, these two have not seen a list. They haven't seen anything about this. I'm I don't even have the laptop Everybody in here. guessing. You're a, I've got my iPad in here, but I
3: don't know that it's going to help me at all. But uh, I will. Sell sell that he goes six to the Giants, but I think he's going to go in the top half of the first round. I think he's the guy that NFL teams like better than the media and ultimately will, because there seems to be a lot of smoke about him kind of climbing the boards. Uh, maybe it's to Denver uh, at number 10 as Charles Davis, I think has in his latest mock draft, but I, I don't see him going six. I will say it does seem if, if the Giants were to take Haskins, they've done a very good job of convincing everybody that they're not interested in Haskins. I don't know. Haskins seems to be falling. for. I, I don't understand really why, uh, but I think Locke is going to go earlier than people think. I just don't think it'll be number six. That's, a, oh, go ahead. No,
0: that, that, that's been our topic last week. Haskins, no idea why he's falling. Well, former Browns offensive coordinator Todd Haley did kind of a scouting report on
3: him and ripped him pretty good, kind of compared it to Jacoby Brissett, saying that he just doesn't make NFL throws down the field and thinks that he could be a game manager at best early in his career.
1: I'm also going to sell because Giants are they're fine at quarterback. Why 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 are they why would they make a move for <laughs> a quarterback? They didn't want one last year. So why well, would Yeah, I, they took why, a running back last. Why year. Why want so one they're, now? They're, they're they're feeling okay. I mean, I just I think their pick is I, my misguided strategy. I think that they're going to try to get someone at 17, and it might be Daniel Jones.
3: That has been the link. That's what we, we talked about it last time I was on BPA when I was just a one off. Now I'm now you're fine, That's right. Now you're back. That's what we were talking about. Daniel Jones, the link, the Cutcliffe link. Eli's mentoring him. It just seems that they like him. And, and now that they have that second number one with us, you know, maybe at number 17, that's somebody you see them draft. As uh, I know that that's kind of become a popular thing on some mocks. I think both
0: of those guys aren't even first round worthy, but.
1: No, I'm not in lock. any of
0: these quarterbacks, and I'm glad we don't need one. <laughs> Me too. Baker. Let's Next go. up, Charles Davis. His latest mock draft out this week. He's got Dwayne Haskins. Speaking of the Ohio State quarterback, number eleven to the Bengals. Gribble, you buying or selling this? Gosh, I'm just, I'm just dumping on all these. I'm You're selling, selling this. everything. Just, I
1: just, I, I, I don't. I, I need to see the Bengals be that bold, and I just don't see it happening. I, I think that they, I'll give the Bengals some credit. I think we've maybe been unfairly dumping on them a little bit throughout They've this off season. They were really good before guys started getting hurt last year. And I would think if they're taking a 5,000-feet view of their of their situation is that they think that they could probably compete in the AFC North this year. I mean, they've got to be thinking the Browns are favored to win the AFC North. We can compete. Like that's We a, smushed them twice last year. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like if, if there's, They've got to be thinking if the division is that up for grabs that the Browns, who have never won the division, are favored then they've got just as much of a chance as anyone else. I think that they'll just go best player available and try to bolster up their roster, which they haven't really done much with in the off season. which might be another indication to me that they think they're better off
3: than they than other people think. So I have a hard time envisioning Mike Brown, and maybe I'm wrong because I guess they, they must have done this with Kitna and Carson Palmer at some point, but... Paying $16 million to Andy Dalton and then drafting a quarterback in the first round. Now, on his contract, they could actually get out of it this year with no dead money. So, obviously, next year they could get out of it with no dead money as well um, and move on from him clean. I'm going to buy the notion that they could take a quarterback even though it seems to be outside of his parameters because I think at some point Andy Dalton's gotten hurt and Andy Dalton just doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that you can win really win with and now is mike brown okay with that maybe he is maybe he's a guy that's always okay being between six and ten and ten and six because that's steady i don't know i'm just going to for the sake of the the debate i'll buy the fact that they could be more in the quarterback market than we think um i don't know that it would be haskins but we'll see
1: isn't the move for them if they're really going to rebuild to trade aj green
3: trade aj green isn't that the move if they're going to rebuild the move is to trade aj green and to cut andy dalton
1: right those are two big moves that would help you speed up a rebuild really fast. Yeah,
3: the other part of it though too is that Andy that AJ Green is still a good player. I know that he's getting older and that's probably your most valuable asset at this point. But if you're gonna do that, then you know, why are you gonna pay why are you paying Geno Atkins? Why are you paying a defensive tackle lot? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where do you stop? For them, the easiest way you take sixteen million dollars off the books with Andy Dalton, tank and you get, you know, get into those get in Tankapalooza. Let's go. Work look at how it worked for the Browns. <laughs> Never, ever, ever do I want to go through anything like that again. No, we don't have to. We smushed them twice last year.
1: I would enjoy having you reiterate that. Yeah. I would enjoy having a tanking team in the division, though. Be great. That'd be. I mean, we already got the Dolphins on the schedule this year. Yeah, if fantastic. I, I encourage a tank, but by, by
3: the Bengals. <laughs> or we're home for the Dolphins, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah see, I would have loved that to be the opener. As much as I want to open in prime time, give me like. Home week one tomato can tanking dolphins uh, and just bludgeon them.
1: I still got the stink of when I the, know I remember. I, when we opened with the dolphins and Brian Hartline looked like uh, Steve Largent
3: out there. <laughs>
0: Probably became a brown because <laughs> of
3: that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it stuck with us. Yeah.
0: All right, Charles Davis also has a guy that uh, is all over the place. Jeffrey Simmons. We've seen him go as late as forty eight right in front of us. Uh, that Eric Edholm had last week to being a top-ten pick still despite the torn ACL. He has Jeffrey Simmons, number 31 to the Rams. Zagura, buying or selling one Simmons to I'll the Rams. buy it. You're a good football team. You're not
3: dependent on the person that you draft getting you over the hump this year, and everybody seems to have thought that he was a consensus top-ten pick in this draft, that he stayed healthy. So why wouldn't you if you're a good team? I don't think he gets out of the first round. Because I think, number one, a team's going to want that fifth-year option on him to kind of extend how much control they have over him. And it, he makes a lot of sense to me, like a total Patriots pick. Just let's get a star that we wouldn't have been able to get otherwise right here, at pick 32. So I, I would be surprised if he got out of the first round. And so, yes, I will buy that Jeffrey Simmons will go in the first round.
1: Yeah, I'm going to buy that selection if he's available. I just don't, I don't know if he's even going to be available. I, I keep mentioning the Raiders who have two picks at the end of the first yeah. round that it would make a lot of sense for him to go there. And like you mentioned, the fifth-year option with him would be huge. I mean, the, just to keep him around for – basically get four years out of him because you're, you're losing one right off the jump.
0: It will be interesting to see where he goes. I think that's the one guy he that to be a first you really pick. take a look at and you go, is he first round? Does he go in the first five or ten picks of the second round on day two? Something definitely to watch. If I'm a team in the second round that wanted him,
3: you know the Patriots are happy to move from 32 into the early second round I would just you want that fifth year option. I think I think it's a valuable leverage point. He
1: becomes the most interesting player in the draft once Kyler Murray's off the board. I think, and Dwayne Haskins.
3: I think he goes in the first round. If there was on the I don't know if there's the window where that's even a a, a wager at the window, but that seems like a good one.
0: If you if if (laughs) you were
3: (laughs) destroying furniture over there, (laughs) (laughs) handles are falling. (laughs) 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 Chaos.
0: So. If you're Simmons, do you take the invitation from ESPN to the green room on draft night one? No, I don't. So he was invited. If he gets in, uh, he'll be invited. I'm assuming he's going to be invited. Do you take the invite? Sure.
3: Yes, is your only chance to to walk across the stage. I mean, what are you worried about the potential that you don't go till day two and you have to go through that terrible thing? Uh, I I think he's going to go day one. So what would you? Why would you say no?
1: For, I think for him the best thing is just in terms of managing your brand, low profile.
3: Yeah, I think it's a special moment to walk out there and get the hat with the commissioner and take that picture. Like that's
1: our quarterback had a special moment at his at his own home
3: too, though he did. He well, he's also he's a man who he's gonna he's gonna do what he wants to do. <laughs> he he does his own thing, and I think he's gonna be a guy that's gonna be given the position he plays. He's always gonna be in the spotlight, always be in demand, and can pretty much control his own destiny. Whereas I think for Jeffrey Simmons, as a defensive tackle in the NFL. I mean, you're not going to have too many, I would say, FaceTime moments. Is I it think di- it's a nice moment.
1: Is it discussed enough that the Browns had back-to-back number 1 picks and neither were at the draft?
3: I mean, is it both
1: dis- walked to uh, the beat
3: their I, own beat. I, I don't think it needs to I don't think it needs to be discussed. Yeah. So, it, so yes, that, it's that's been that's that's, enough.
1: that's that's tough odds to do.
3: I think when you know you're the number 1 overall pick like those guys, it's
2: you,
3: the accolades they've gotten in their lives and Miles certainly is not a guy that would thrive on that situation. That's not Miles, as we know, is not somebody who loves the spotlight. He just wants to go handle his business and live his life. For Baker, I think he does the media that he wants to do, and he comes when he wants to come, and he shows up, and very much has control over where he's going to be portrayed, and not how, but just where what he wants to do. Like he went on Pardon My Take because he wanted to go on Pardon My Take. You know, we didn't, we didn't have time for him a lot of time on CBD, and then finally we made some time. He's like, Yeah, sure, I'll come on, and he came on. It was great, but he doesn't. I think it's, I think they both didn't go for very different reasons. Because I think part of it, too, for Baker was he wanted to be able to have full control over the video of that moment, which I don't know that the NFL would have allowed him yeah. at their event to document it the way that he did. Yeah.
0: All right, we move on. We're halfway through our mock draft, Buy or Sell. I'm Jason Gibbs. He's under oh, Dribble. Nathan Zagura in the hot seat this week. Chad Reuter from NFL.com. Uh, he's got a four-round mockout. This is the only team that I'm doubling up on in this. He's got Daniel Jones at number 17 to the Giants. We talked a little bit about it already. You buying or selling?
1: Buy, buy, buy. I'm buying it. I put it out there earlier. Yeah. I, I was on the first
0: I can't believe that they're going to do this.
3: Why? It's all what they evaluate, right? If they think that that's the guy, then that's what that's who they're going to take and they're going to groom him and the truth is with quarterbacks it's a, it's binary. Either you've turned out to be worthy of a first-round pick, or you're not, because there's no middle ground. Like, oh, yeah, he's, oh, for a third-round pick, he was a good quarterback. If the guy's going to be somebody you're going to start and build your franchise around, or they're not, chances are that person's going to come from the first round. And so if you're the Giants, after not taking a swing on it last year, you're going to do it this year. And if that's the guy that they like, that's who they're going to take.
1: Why have Sam Darnold when you can have Daniel Jones? Well, there
3: that's, you go. Uh, yeah. That's Why, the way I Would think. you rather have Daniel ju- Jones and Saquon Barkley or Sam Darnold and Nick Chubb?
1: Here's my thing. I, I wouldn't – here's the one thing I won't believe in. Oops. Here's the thing, oh, I hope, and by
3: the way, first round picks this year.
1: If they really believe in Daniel Jones, you take him at six. You take him at six, of course. So I wouldn't let him fall to seventeen. That's the one thing I would disagree with.
3: Or you move. It's whatever. And to your point, you're absolutely right. This is it's the most important position. If you really believe in some, if you believe in somebody's good enough to be the seventeenth pick in the draft, you're saying I believe this person's gonna be a franchise quarterback. So yeah, you take him as soon as you can.
1: Like, was there any difference between us that Johnny Manziel was the twenty second pick and Justin Gilbert was like the the eighth pick in that draft? No, oh. they were both first-round players, and you had all the focus on them. So it's like yes. you might as well just take the quarterback first and get the guy you want. Get the guy.
0: Sure. Make sure you get the guy that you want. So last week, Gribble mentioned this, and I want to see if you agree with it. The only reason why Daniel Jones – not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons why Daniel Jones is relevant and we're talking about him in the first round is the fact that his college coach was David Cutcliffe. And the whole Peyton Manning relationship and... And Eli's mentoring the, him. Cutcliffe
1: or, comes with credibility. Yeah. And that's why, he, that's why I, I am believing in him probably a little bit more than Drew Locke right now. Cutcliffe wouldn't just endorse a guy that he doesn't think is very good.
3: What this goes back to, though, is that quarterback is still the most important position in the league. And teams are gonna f- who need quarterbacks are going to talk themselves into getting one. And that's why there's a good chance that a, a lot of these mocks, which have four quarterbacks going in the first round, are going to end up being true, even though there aren't... Probably for first-round quarterbacks on paper at this point. All right. I mean, I think it was McShay who came out earlier this week and said, or late last week and said that he has three quarterbacks from last year's class are ahead of any of the quarterbacks in this year's class.
1: That's why, though, part of me thinks that this draft could go in the direction of outside of the Kyler Murray who we think is going to go number one. This could be like that 2013 draft. I think there's a chance of that happening.
3: Where they don't go, where there's just like one.
1: Like and then Geno Smith was left there the next day <sighs>
3: holding the bag.
1: I mean, I think that's that. Yes. I think that is in play with this draft.
3: Interesting. Boy, that's. I a, would be surprised just because I think the league has even evolved since 2013, where it's just we got to take our shots.
1: I just think I don't know if any of these quarterbacks are worth taking shots on. Fair. And there's just not enough big gaping holes at quarterback throughout the league, even though some teams probably think they should have at the quarterback position. Well, no,
3: you're talking yourself into Denver, which just traded for Joe Flacco. The Giants have Eli Manning still. The Dolphins are a team that are, is tanking, but they have Ryan Fitzpatrick right now, right? So Redskins. all the teams, the Redskins, that's one that where it seems to be fairly wide open. But yeah, And you look at the mock draft roundup on NFL.com and none of them have them taking a quarterback. The Arizona Cardinals are going to take a quarterback and trade Josh Rosen somewhere, if, yeah. that's,
0: if that is in fact what's happening. All right, we move on to number six, Tom Fornell from CBS Sports with a oh. mock draft out. He's got Devin Bush number 20 to Pitts Buying or selling Nathan Zagura? I mean, I don't want that to happen, but it would make a lot of sense. You
3: know, they a huge void in their defense with the loss of Ryan Shazier. Uh, they've been linked, I think, to linebackers quite a bit. Um, I just don't know if Devin Bush is going to get there. I think if you look at Devin White going five to Tampa, which everybody seems to think, I think Devin Bush could end up in Cincinnati. The thing that I don't like is it seems like the most likely landing spots for Devin Bush are both in our division. I think he's a good player. I would rather see him go out and go Yeah, it's
1: because both the Bengals and Steelers need
3: that position. Yeah. And
1: I I agree with Nathan. I don't think he's going to make it to 20. I don't know if it's going to go to the Bengals, but I don't think he's making it to
3: 20. Fine, somebody else. Step up.
1: The gap between him and the next best linebacker is massive.
0: Immense. It it is huge, but it, it's funny because in, in the last week or two, I've seen him falling into the teens, uh, the late teens, and I don't know what. Again, like Haskins, For Bush, yeah, yeah, but I've, Bush started off in the like late twenties and then worked his way up into a top ten, or he was at number eleven. He kept going. We kept seeing him mock to Cincinnati at number eleven. That was White. Was that White? Yeah, that was Devin White. Devin White was the only one that was even near the top ten. Confusing the Devins.
3: You're confusing the Devins. And then he moved to five in a lot of the mocks once Quan Alexander left. And then what else? Did, did Tampa do anything else? Or was just that they let Quan Alexander go? Yeah, they let walk. Quan Alexander go. And so then Devin White went up there, and then Devin Bush is now climbing from where he was. You know, when we first when we actually had a draft pick, he was one of the guys that was always kind of available to us and was going to Pittsburgh quite a bit. And now he's gotten pushed up in many cases, to Cincinnati as a result of that.
1: I think Kipe is his number nine best overall player yeah. in the draft. I mean, it's a good player.
0: Phenomenal athlete. A little short, they said, but yeah. uh, he, he plays, plays big. All right, next up, Fornell has DK Metcalf number 27 to the Raiders. This is a pretty big fall for a guy that I think people had going maybe as high as nine to Buffalo. Groot. I'm going to buy it because I've been all
1: aboard the DK Metcalf should be falling express. I just, and then the Raiders, they would be a tribute to Al Davis with this pick. It just makes too much sense.
3: So D.K. Metcalf to me is fascinating in the sense that wasn't that productive in college. Obviously, physically insane. I mean, just being within 100 feet of him at the combine when he went into the bench press. You're like, what in the world are we? This guy is unbelievable. And he goes and he you know, kills it from the measurable standpoint at the combine. But not a fluid route runner. And you need to be a fluid route runner. You need to be able to generate separation in the NFL. You're not just going to win all on contested catches. So, he's a guy that I think when you know, if you remember these initial ones, I think wasn't he going nine to Buffalo? That was kind of yeah. always nine to Buffalo, nine to Buffalo. It wouldn't surprise me to see him go towards the end of the first round at all. So I will, I I don't buy him in the top ten. I do buy him in the first round because somebody's going to take a, a gamble on the potential that he brings because of his size and his speed, but. There's a lot more to run. I mean, you think about the best receivers in the NFL. It's not those big guys anymore. I mean, Julio is rare in his combination of size, but he's also a very good route runner.
1: And you know what? He's been hurt a lot.
3: And he's been hurt. I <laughs> mean, like,
1: it's, that's the, it's what comes with being that size. I,
3: think. I remember talking with somebody who's now an offensive coordinator in the NFL who was with the Falcons when we played uh, Atlanta in the preseason. And he said, Julio Jones is just not going to make it because – For him to be able to break, cut in and out of his breaks the way he does, he said the force that he put, they did it on a force pad, and he said it would blow your mind, whatever the number was. It was like Ivan Drago, you know, punching the bag, like whatever that force was. And he said your joints, especially at his size, over time just cannot take that, which is why he's had And he said he's going to have a lot of foot and knee issues, and he's had a lot of foot issues, and that's just from the way that he digs his feet in in these routes. The guys are the best receivers in the NFL right now, I mean, by and large. You have Antonio Brown, who's not a big guy, but is a tremendous route runner in and out. Odell, simil- same type of thing. DeAndre Hopkins, same type of thing. These are not huge guys. Michael Thomas is a bigger guy, but plays in a perfect offense where he can be a big slot and get those three releases. But I'm talking about the true outside number one, 6'4 wide receiver. That's not really the guys that are dominating the NFL right now.
1: And this guy can't change direction
3: very well. Well, that's and that's my point. Exactly. Yeah, the the three best like receivers he just, he, in the league. A, and it, he worked can't. his
1: body all offseason and – that was at the cost of that it it was one of the worst numbers you saw yeah yeah that just that in the way the nfl is played right now i just i think maybe eight years ago it's a no-brainer he goes high totally yeah
3: different game and you just look at the guys that are as i said that are successful in the nfl what they're able to do is change direction get in and out of their breaks, and win with their ability to create separation. And that's what he's going to have a hard time doing. I remember you go back a long time, and I know that he doesn't have, didn't have the same speed per se, but remember Mike Williams from USC yeah. was so productive. I mean, was unbelievable. Even Dwayne Jarrett at USC was two of those guys. And they were just big, and they were strong, and they were just dominant at the college level. But in the NFL, it's so much more than that. Mike Evans, I think, is an exception because he has good speed, great body control, actually can move in and out. But those, those guys are much more rare now as the great receivers than they used to be. And even to look at Randy, Randy Moss, yes, he was tall, but he was fast, and he could change direction. He could run that slant stop, and he was gone. Jerry Rice wasn't a big guy. I mean, you're talking about Marvin Harrison was a big guy. Torrey Holt wasn't a big guy. I think some of the most productive receivers of all time were not big guys. I think it's that kind of misperception or misnomer you have. You, know, you need to be this massive guy. I mean, Tyreek Hill – was one of the most dangerous receivers in the NFL. Again, not a big guy. I mean, it's, it's when the. It Change direction. It's when and it was. Dom-
1: when there was a stretch. I don't know what year it was. Maybe you highlighted 2013 or 12, where the three big guys in the NFL were Calvin Johnson, A.J. Green, uh, and Julio Jones. I yeah. mean, that's why. That's where people sure. get that, that perception about
0: it. Sure. Final one, guys. And I think it's an easy one from Mel Kuiper Jr., the other Devin. Devin White, number five to Tampa Bay. Buying, selling. bye. By
1: though I don't agree with how they got to it, I would have just given Quan Alexander the money and drive somewhere else.
0: Could have made that argument. I mean, I just
1: I don't. I mean, would it's, you? It's 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 six to one, half a dozen the other. You're still in the same spot. I would have just kept the guy, spent way, the money.
3: Yeah, but what Alexander got, you would have been making him the highest paid, you know, off ball linebacker in the league. And, and I don't know that his yeah, production but this is But the number five up. pick. But you could to be have a drafting
1: guy, a generational player at that
3: spot. He could be. Uh, the Bears the took on Smith, and he was great for their defense. Is he? Uh, is he Khalil Mack? Yeah. No. <laughs> is he really, like, no. He's just a guy. No. I don't think he's just a guy. No, he's
1: a good player. Yeah. But, but I mean, could've... Ray
3: Lewis helped Shane. If you get that guy, it makes sense, right? And a lot of people yeah. think Devin White is that good. I don't know. They I, don't know. I think they could have gotten He rides better. a steed. Bo loves him. <laughs> you could have
1: you <laughs> yes, spent, spent the money, drafted a, better, drafted a good player. You have two good players instead of one.
3: Or you could have uh, – another way you could have done it is you could have not spent the money, traded down from five, taken Devin Bush a little bit later and probably picked up because of the top five pick for somebody who wants to get out of the Giants for a quarterback, probably gotten yourself another first-round pick, and you, there you get three guys and the money to sign somebody more impactful in free agency.
1: That buck's, that buck's defense is not a, a Devin White
3: away from being good.
0: I, that I would agree with. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, Mr. Zagura, since yeah. it's been a few weeks since you've been on, yeah. number one need for the Cleveland Browns if you're at pick 49. And you don't make a move till Friday night.
3: So nobody – the roster hasn't changed from now till then? Yep. At all? Uh, I would say probably a safety. I'd still want another safe Safety or linebacker or a corner. somewhere. Something on defense. I think offensively we're pretty good. So something on defense. And to me it's at that second level. I think we're pretty talented and deep now, certainly across the defensive line, which is one of the reasons I think was traded. You're, you just had too many defensive ends on this team. And now – Linebacker, I think you want one more impact player, and I think in the defensive backfield, whether it's a safety or a corner, I, I think that you need to make an addition there.
0: All right. All right. This is a girl?: appreciate the time, my friend. Look forward to listening to you. What daily a pleasure on Cleveland Browns Daily. Oh, well, with I, one but, uh, Bo uh, Bishop. Yeah,
3: I like sitting there with you on Cleveland Browns Daily <laughs> and getting <laughs> Gribbs is like more than our newman on Cleveland Browns Daily. He's like I feel like you like I mean, you're kinda of like Kramer, I feel like.
1: I hope I'm not like Susan, like she, she, no,
3: no, she had a long run and then, no, yeah, no. And you're not, I don't think you're trying to, yeah, no. Wedding invitations, licking of the envelopes. No. No, World's
1: colliding. Yeah. I don't (laughs) see that happening.
3: No, indeed.
0: All right, guys. Thank you. All right. That's been the mock draft by Orsell. We want to thank Nathan Zagura for his time today. We want to thank Steve Malin, the director of college scouting. We've only got three episodes left before draft day.
1: Yeah, it's coming up quick. It seemed like we hit a lull here in the offseason, maybe more so than recent years, but we've just kind of there's been kind of big uh, spiking moments and then quiet moments and then I think we'll we'll get to the drafts and it won't be as big of a weekend as it usually is in Cleveland, but uh, one that'll still be pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, and I, and hopefully we're we're giving you something to prepare for in terms of those Friday and Saturday picks that, you know, all of a sudden now mean quite a bit and, and maybe not again, not flashy but guys that are going to be asked to contribute, especially on the special teams side of things with a new special teams coach.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's usually where those guys can make some kind of impact. And it gets me excited thinking about, I know that it's crazy because you you mentioned that. Jannard Avery, I believe when he was a fifth round pick was drafted for maybe his special teams upside first. And now all of a sudden he's going to have a pretty prominent role because he's proven he can do even more than that. Antonio Callaway was another guy where I think he'll have an even bigger role in special teams now that he's embraced kind of all the things that come with being an NFL player. So, yeah, I mean these—all these guys are going to have opportunities to get on the field, uh, working under Mike Prefer because he—he he wants to get that group a lot better than it's been these last few years.
0: Yeah, and, and I also think it's good that you're not having to play your star players on special teams. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I'm not discounting Callaway. I'm not discounting Gennard Avery or guys like that, but. You know, you don't want to be lining up Jarvis Landry to return kicks and punts. You no. don't want Odell Beckham doing that. You don't want Nick Chubb doing that.
1: Yeah, it's a dangerous thing. I yeah, mean, you look what happened last year. Rod Streeter broke his neck on special teams. I mean, it's a, there's
0: it's a dangerous
1: <laughs> time out there. You don't want like the 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 star players out there. Put, every every extra snap you're out there, you're risking yourself for for injury. And I think special teams is is, is they've made some restrictions to kind of make made it safer. Uh, but it's still it's it's chaos out there and and that can lead to injuries and that's why you want uh your star players not having forced forced into action out there.
0: Gribs that's it for episode eight looking forward to next week as well we bring in a couple more draft experts between now and the draft and someone from the front office obviously as we get ready for the 2019 NFL draft.
1: Yep I'm looking forward to it.
0: Indeed my friend if you have not listened to any of our other podcasts Shame on you, number one. Number two, you can get those podcasts wherever you get your podcast: iTunes, uh, Google Play, wherever the case might be, clevelandbrowns.com. You can access those any of those podcasts, including this podcast as well. For Andrew Gribble, for Nathan Zagura, for Steve Malin, who we appreciate his time as well. I'm Jason Gibbs. This has been the best podcast available.